Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. and welcome to episode 268 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It's been two weeks. Nothing, and I mean nothing, has happened really for the Braves, at least that was not covered by Road to Atlanta last week. But we're due for a podcast, and I'm joined on this fine Wednesday evening by Scott Coleman. Hello, sir. Hey, Brad. How's it going? Good to be on. It's been a little while since I've been on for one of these, but Hopefully it brings some some luck. We, of course, have the history of any time we do a podcast, it seems like within 24 hours, sometimes not even, there's a, a move that's made, and who knows if that's going to be the case. But hey, if, if it means recording a podcast on this on this Wednesday evening, if it helps move things a little bit, I am all for it. Yeah, that is part of the appeal of doing a podcast tonight. Also, uh, we haven't done a mailbag for a while, so we're due for one of those I would certainly encourage people that have not heard it yet to go back and listen to Road to Atlanta from last week. That actually allowed us to not do a podcast a week ago because I wanted to let that that one breathe. Those guys, uh, led by Eric, of course, talked about the Rule 5 draft, all the affiliate information for the minor league stuff, really interesting stuff that I learned, actually, from that podcast. So check that one out on this same feed, and please subscribe to all of that. But as, as I said before, that's really the only news, and they covered that last week. Two weeks ago, it was Eric and I, Talk about the non talk about the non tender deadline, and the non tender deadline is the last piece of real news, and that was two weeks ago. So, before we dive into some mailbag stuff, there's a little bit of scuttlebutt we can discuss. But I wanted to just say this out loud for people that are freaking out about lack of transactions. Uh, a, what Scott said is right. We are we are pretty good about spurring action when we do podcasts. It's kind of mm. our bit. Yeah. But also, last off season, the Braves made that whole flurry in November when they made a couple moves in one day, the McCann thing and you know, all that. They've had this track record uh, in the recent past. Uh, that was two years ago. But this last year, it was like November and then a really, really dead period and then January. Um, so that's they're on course with that again. Uh, and by the way, the rest of baseball is also quite quiet at the moment. There's not a whole lot going on across the league. And I pulled the transactions from last year, the Braves basically did nothing from this point forward until the middle of January. And within a six-day time period, they signed Hetcheverria, they signed Felix, and they signed Ozuna. And that all happened from January 16th through the 21st. So I'm not saying that's going to happen again, but that, that's another month from now. The winter meetings are now over and nothing happened. So we might <laughs> not be getting anything for a while. I'm hoping that we're uh, going to jinx it. Yeah. But uh, just prepare that like Christmas is coming and nothing like the dam might not break this time around. Yeah, I, I mean, on that end, if if all of a sudden George Springer and Marcelo Zuna and Michael Brantley had all signed within the last two weeks and the Braves did nothing and didn't appear to be very active, I think there'd be a little more cause for concern or, or the hey, what's going on? But 
Um, I, I forget which national writer it was, but he talked to an executive who said that uh, January is the new December. Uh, historically, of course, uh, December with the winter meetings and, and before Christmas holiday, before all the, the front offices closed for 10 days or so. Um, historically, December was the, the month with a lot of action. And of course, that has not been the case uh, the first half of the month anyway. Who knows? Maybe some teams are getting ready to spend some money uh, before that uh, that break for Christmas and New Year's. But man, uh, it's been slow. I, I, you mentioned that Anthopolis has generally done stuff in bunches. I don't know if that is by design or just the randomness of, of reaching deals with players. But um, I do think it's with free agency, especially you never necessarily want to be the team that's setting the market. I think you have the ability to kind of react and see what the market is like. I think the Mets, for example, just overpaid for James McCann. I don't know who was aggressively bidding for a catcher, but it feels like they probably overpaid a bit. Um, maybe they had to get something done in this second week of December, but it feels like they kind of jumped the gun a little bit. And anytime you're dealing, even in a normal time, you never want to overpay or bid against yourself for a free agent. But especially in this financial climate, uh, every dollar is going to matter. And, and you can understand why teams are probably being a little more cautious with their spending. And, and going into January, it's a long offseason, as we know. Um, and so far, it has been pretty quiet outside of really the Braves and a couple other uh, single instances. Uh, it has been uh, it has been pretty quiet. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, you know, we would all love for more content. I saw you tweeting about that earlier. I saw Stephen from uh, 75 uh, talking about that as well. And we, you know, we would love the content, uh, but the Braves actually have done much more than a lot of teams have done so far in the offseason between Morton and Smiley. Those were two real moves that they made in addition to, not, to the non-tenor deadline stuff. So it hasn't been that quiet compared to the rest of the league. Uh, it just feels that way. So we're all going to make it, I promise. And they'll do something at some point in time. But I'm with you. Like, the market has to get set at the top. And uh, there's a question we'll answer later on about the DH. That is the biggest thing also, I feel like, on the position player side. Guys like Ozuna have no incentive to sign right now with the uncertainty about the DH. Um, you know, one way or the other, they're going to get some news eventually. It's obviously preposterous that we don't know at this point in time, but we'll come back to that later on. Um, the only thing that's sort of newsworthy that we can lead off with here is that uh, old friend Bob Nightingale, legendary reporter that he is, um, mm. he reported Aww. that a contingent of owners and executives are pushing for the players to be vaccinated before the season starts even if that means delaying spring training and the start of the season. Uh, in that same report from the US, from USA Today, he wrote that it applies, quote, even if it means shortening the season to 140 or fewer games, end quote. So this is interesting. I think it's very theoretical because nobody else is really writing about this, so it's probably just a, a small contingent of owners, potentially. But we're in that weird zone right now, I think, as a country as well, but definitely as a, a for baseball, because of the time frame, you know, vaccine estimations are all over the place, but maybe late in the spring. And if they want to, you know, try to have people in the stands, all of that stuff is coming together. And the time frame for when baseball actually starts kind of lines up with that maybe being a possibility. But we're all guessing. I think that's important to point out at the very beginning of this. We are all guessing here. But what was your reaction when you saw that that was uh, maybe even on the table? Well, to me, my, my reaction to that was this is kind of the owners wiggling out of having to pay a full 162 game salary. Because to me, we saw how uh, they did not want to spend any kind of money last year. And I get it there. It's a business at the end of the day, but um, even if 
the vaccine and you just said we do not know how the next few months are going to go but even if the vaccine is widely available and and um life starts to go back to a little bit closer to normal you can bet that owners are not going to want to pay full salaries if attendance is is capped at what 30 percent 50 percent you know the 10 to 15 thousand uh person number that that the nfl has implemented in certain cities um who knows where we're going to be in march and april but um, to me, I, I took that report as a way for the owners to wiggle out of their financial obligation of these contracts, um, even if it means cutting 20, 30 games off the season. I, that's certainly better than a 60 game season. We just saw how fast that went, um, especially for a sport like baseball, where it's every single night. But um, I would not be surprised, I guess, if the season is shortened at least a little bit. Um, and on the end of, of the vaccine, I, I do not know what teams can force players to do and not do. I would imagine it's within their contracts that if, if baseball wants to institute a league-wide vaccine, uh, I guess they could do that. But again, I, I do not know the contract language there and, and what that would feasibly look like. Yeah, I, I don't either. Um, I would actually be very skeptical that they would actually make players. I think they probably can't get away with that. Um, yeah, yeah. This is a very powerful players association, so they can wait um, with the idea that you know players, at least a lot of them, will probably get it voluntarily if they're offered it um and that could you know improve quality of play and all that stuff um but who knows we're all guessing i do think that they own this might be just the owners getting out in front of it a little bit trying to cut things down and yes i think you'll have fans in stadiums pretty early in the season but not necessarily full stadiums right away obviously so i don't know there's the financial model is what it is we've discussed that ad nauseum last year no one wants that short of a season again i think you will definitely have some owners that will ride it out as long as they can to not have to pay full salaries if they're not going to have full stadiums. That contingent was much uh, much discussed last time around. Um, there were owners that apparently just didn't want to play baseball at all. Um, they, would, they were re- ready to sit out baseball entirely if they were given that option. Um, that's pretty crazy, but alas, that, that happened. So we'll see. Uh, I, my eyebrow raised on this, but it's not like I have a huge take on it. I think that if they had confidence that a lot of the players could get vaccinated and be healthier to be traveling around the country and flying around, staying in hotels, that's a good thing in my mind. But at the same time, spring training is supposed to start in February. And it doesn't seem like that is going to line up. So if they're going to want this, if they want to push it back, it would have to go back a pretty decent ways. And I'm not sure they're prepared to do that. But, hey, we're still in the middle of December and we don't even know what the rules are. So who knows? Yeah, and who knows? Like you said, we're in the middle of December. It seems like we are on the right path, but we, you, nor I, nor anyone really has any idea what the world is going to look like in, in three or four months from now. Um, who knows? I mean, again, I, I think um, the good news is the baseball does have a couple of months to kind of figure out a plan. We, we've talked about how... <laughs> Famous last words, Scott. Unlike, right. I mean, unlike the other professional sports, the NBA, the NHL had already conduct, or concluded their seasons for the most part. I know they had about a month left when everything shut down in March and then the NFL always had the benefit of, of six months of preparing, um, you know, baseball got the short end of the stick last March. They were 10 days away from opening day. I was making opening day plans to go see the Braves up in Phoenix. And all of a sudden, you know, the rug gets pulled out from under them and and then the season was over. Um, So you would hope, hope is probably the best word here, but hope they would use these next couple months to figure out 
some kind of a game plan and be able to adjust and and see what they can and cannot do with the vaccine and traveling and, and all of that. Yeah, well, it's a big we'll see, that's for sure. But I wanted to point that out. That was the only piece of like tangential news that I could find that was worth discussing. And I thought it was pretty interesting, at least as a, as a concept to throw out there. I'll be interested to see if we get some responses from people that listen to the podcast and, uh, you know, have any feedback. Please fire it at us if you'd like to. Um, okay, before we get into the mailbag for the first time in a while, let's take a second now hear from our sponsors on the podcast. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Scott, let us dive into the mailbag. So we got a lot of questions uh, you put out the call, and I appreciate you for doing that. I was uh, buried on Hawks and NBA things when yeah. you did that. Um, and we, we will not get to all of them because I think there was at least 40 that responded to you directly, plus more that <laughs> were answering. I don't know. There were a lot. Um, fans are fans are bored. With, uh, listen, with I, don't, I, don't, right I don't blame and you. I, I don't blame them either. Yeah, and you know, a lot of – I won't say a lot. Some of them we've kind of talked about a lot already, so we kind of left those out for the most part. But even then, there's plenty to get to. So we'll kind of fire through some of these. I'm not sure how long we'll go, but there's a few that I thought were interesting. Um, the first one I sort of alluded to a second ago. I didn't pull any specific questions about Mar- about Marcelo Zuna, but one of them was from at Cam Lemons on Twitter, uh, who asks, is the DH the only thing the Braves are waiting on to pull the trigger on someone? And I will use this question to also ask you, Scott, about your current thoughts on the state of the DH situation, because, again, it's the middle of December, Free agency has been going on for a month plus and the teams don't know the rules for next season, which doesn't seem ideal <laughs> to me. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. Right. Like, Hey Brad, guess what? In one league, uh, you can only dribble the ball three times without, uh, passing or shooting in the other league. You can dribble and shoot as much as you want. I mean, come on, what are we doing here? Uh, the fact that the fact that we don't know in the middle of December, whether or not there's going to be a DH in the national league is just absurd to me. I I think that's probably my, my main takeaway. Um, who knows what kind of conversations front offices are having with the league. Um, maybe the league has indicated somewhat that they feel like they'll be able to have some, have a firm ruling on the DH moving forward at, at some point this winter, you would sure hope so. Um, it does seem like teams are operating under the assumption and they almost have to, that there will not be a DH in the National League next year. Um, that, of course, brings the, the follow-up question is, if the Braves don't have a DH next year for 95% of their games, uh, should they still be interested in a Marcelo Zuna, a Michael Brantley, those kind of players? Um, so, yes, I, I do think the DH is playing a large factor. In, and as I talked about maybe 10 minutes ago, um, you, you never want to be bidding against yourself this early in the winter. And, and because the market has been quiet, especially for hitters, a couple of pitchers have signed, but uh, especially for the hitters, because none of those guys have signed. Um, I don't think Anthopolis necessarily wants to be the first one to write the check and, and kind of see, because, you know, if he would have, if he would have rushed to sign Ozuna and, and of course it wouldn't have been the worst thing knowing what we know now, but if he um, at the time would have rushed to sign Ozuna, he probably would have paid closer to, 
three or four years and in, in 16, 17, 18 million a year versus ultimately signing him for the one year deal. So um, who knows how it's all going to work out. But I do think the DH is probably the leading factor in, in why there hasn't been much movement, especially among those outfielders who who probably benefit from a DH more than most. Yeah, I think it's undeniable. I mean, there's a debate on how how much of a factor it is, but it's absolutely a factor. I think it's a big factor among National League teams. So on, on the team side, you just can't act without some sort of guidance. And there, there have been a couple of reports that, you know, teams are assuming that there won't be one, and they have to assume that, like you mentioned. But without real guidance, the guys at the top end, like, it's really hard to sign a player like Marcelo Ozuna right now or especially Ozuna is almost the most clear example of this in the entire league, quite quite frankly, because he was so good last year. He was the best DH in the league. He's an awesome hitter. Um, but, you know, Brantley, you might get away with playing him in the outfield a decent amount. Ozuna, no one wants to play him in the outfield. Like, eventually, maybe he will have to sign with a National League team that's his best offer to maybe play the outfield a little bit in year one and then hope for the DH beyond that. But, no, let's not be silly about this. Even as someone who was higher on his defense before the season last year. No one wants Ozuna playing the outfield every day. No one wants that. He doesn't want that, I don't think, probably. So no. we'll see what happens there. But Ozuna, you know, the Braves are one of the teams, quite not quite obviously, naturally uh, bidding on him, potentially. And if you're, if you're Anthopolis, like, you cannot give an offer to Ozuna in good faith without knowing what the situation is. And yeah. it's just tough. And on, on the player side, on the agent side... If you're Ozuna's agent, do you want to rush and sign a deal right now when really no. your market's probably only the, to only American League teams? Because a National League team isn't probably going to give you what you want right now. If you're Mar- if you're Marcel Ozuna, at least I would imagine they won't. Just because why why would they? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like yep. if again if I think everyone is assuming and has been for a long time that the DH will be universal in 22. But even that, so, and, and I've argued this in the past on this podcast, I think if you're the Braves, you can, can, I'm not saying should, but you could give Marcelo Ozuna a multi-year deal with the assumption that, yeah, year one might be tough, you got to play him in the outfield, but then after that, you can be confident he's going to be your DH. That's still hard to sell in a lot of ways, and you wouldn't want to do that now without knowing it, like actually knowing what was going to happen. So... Yeah. It goes back to the point of just how ridiculous this whole thing is that mm-hmm. they've been able to sign players this whole time. The Braves have handed out twenty plus million dollars in contracts annually, and they can't even plan on the DH. It's not, it's not a Braves problem; it's, it's a whole baseball problem. But it's a factor. I think it has to be, especially in the, in the National League. Like, yeah, if you're an American League team and you want to sign a DH right now, Godspeed. But if you're the agent of Marcelo Zuna, why would you want to have your market only be the half of the league right now versus yeah. versus maybe the whole league in a few weeks? <laughs> no, that's a great point. I mean, you're absolutely right from a player and an agent perspective. And look, the Braves are in a better situation than most National League teams because the Braves have an all-world defensive center fielder who can cover up for Marcel's shortcomings. If, if you assume Pache is going to be the center fielder uh, moving forward, and, and why wouldn't you? Um, he can cover up a lot of the deficiencies if you do have to play Ozuna in left field for most of 2021. Um, you know, most teams don't have a gold glove caliber center fielder on their roster. So yeah, if, if, if the Braves might even be in a better position, if there is no DH to consider it, um, if you don't have a great defensive center fielder, I, I can't imagine unless you just really do not care at all about defense. 
Um, I would imagine it's even a tougher sell. And if you're, you know, trying to sell it to your ownership or whatever it may be, um, it's just hard to imagine a, a National League team doing that um, without no, if there's no DH and if you don't feel great about your team defensively. I don't know for as good as Marcel's bat is. I just don't think anyone wants to play him in the field. Um, hopefully the Braves, even if there is no DH, I think, um, you know, I, I'm in favor of signing him, even if there is no DH for 2021. I think he brings so much to this team and his bat is so, so good as we just saw. But um, who knows? It, it is an unfortunate situation. And again, it's, it's honestly laughable that um, <laughs> baseball has not figured this out in the middle of December. Yeah, we are, we are fond of saying on this podcast that the Braves did sign Marcelo Zuna before they knew they were, were going to have a DH last year. That that did happen. Now, on the, at the same time, the Braves also, I think, have been pretty open about the fact that Marcelo's defense was worse than they thought it was, um, especially his arm. So you kind of have data on both sides there, but I'm with you. I think the Braves absolutely should still be in the mix for Marcelo Zuna, even without a DH. But they need to know what's going to happen. I mean, that's that's it should be the bare minimum. It again, it's comical, and we'll move on now. But I think it's uh, that sets the stage a little bit for what we're seeing there, and it makes a lot of sense to me anyway that um, guys like Brantley and Ozuna, and even Springer, who's like not a DH, but his market is affected by these other guys. Those guys should all probably just wait and see what happens. So that's boring in a lot of ways, but that's that's where we are. That's where we are. Um. Sort of bouncing off that a little bit because you talked about Pache. I want to ask. Uh, there's we got we had a question from Ryan Glenn, who asks, uh, "What do y'all think about the outfield plan and what it would be if Pache struggles?" So this is interesting because we've definitely been focusing on Pache as the opening day starter in center field. I know we've said in the past that it's not an absolute certainty that he starts in center field. I think it's going to happen, but it's not an absolute 100% lock in the way that some other guys are. Let's just say that at the top. Now. It's definitely possible that Pache does not hit this year. Defensively, everyone buys Pache. Um, we saw that in the playoffs. Uh, all that stuff is out there, but this is still a guy who is a, an unproven commodity at the plate. So this is definitely in play. And I guess the question, Scott, I mean, to sort of build on what Ryan was asking is, if you go into the season with Pache as your primary slash only option in center field, what happens if in like the middle of May – he's hitting 120 and really, really kind of visibly struggling. How do you handle that? Yeah. I mean, it it is, um, you know, it's worth saying, of course, you have Ronald Acuna on the roster. Is he good? He's pretty good. And he's, you know, all of 23 years old. He's an old man at this point. He he can play center field. That's important. He can. He can absolutely play center. Um, And and then you also have Ender and Ciarte. And and we have not heard a word about Ender this winter. I mean, literally a word has not been written about him. Um, it, who knows? Again, there's there's two plus months of the offseason where he could be uh, traded or, or who knows what he's going to do. But if they are unable to find a taker for his contract, he is owed too much money and has been around the league too long just to wave goodbye to him. You know, that is not a Luke Jackson making eight hundred thousand dollars if he makes the team where if he's bad, you just cut him and, and, uh, <laughs> and cut your losses. Um, it would be hard to imagine them just cutting ties with Ender. So I guess um I hope that Pache is going to be given every chance to play every day or, or just about. Um, but if he struggles, I would imagine it's Acuna in center field and then they adjust. Of course, it's hard to really say because they have not, uh, they, they're missing two outfielders currently, actually three, if you account for Marquecas, Duval, and Ozuna. Um, so it's probably a question that's a little bit easier to answer in four to eight weeks. But ultimately, I think they have, because of Acuna's flexibility, 
uh, one way or the other, they would be able to um, address that uh, internally. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why almost this is it's probably a small reason. But it's one of the reasons why I think they're probably more comfortable going into the season with Pache. You know, this is a team that's trying to win the World Series next year, quite obviously. And Pache is not a proven option, but because you have Acuna and you have this flexibility, you're more apt to do it. And also, he's he's a high pedigree prospect. Like I'm kind of famously skeptical of prospects until they do it. But it's a little bit different for a guy on the level of where Pache has been. Uh, and I'm not a prospect expert, but judging by the list, judging by our guys who are prospect experts, he's on a, he's on a different level than a guy like Austin Riley is, for for instance. Um, sure. So it your your expectations have to change a little bit through that lens. But even then, I will be skeptical of Pache hitting until he hits. But given his defense in center field and his legs and all of that, it's not that big of a deal if he doesn't hit. If that makes sense, like if, as long as he's not a disaster. And if he's a disaster, it's different, and you you become unplayable. But if he defends the way he's apparently capable of defending by all accounts, if he just hits, you know, even a little bit, it's yeah. fine. Like, you want more than that, ideally. But he, if, if he posts, like, an 80 WRC plus with an elite glove, that's still a starting level player. It's not mm-hmm. great, but you can get by with that. So the uh, the margin the margin of error is pretty is pretty wide, which is, which is good. That's what you want for a young guy. The pressure... You, you can hit him eighth in the lineup every day or ninth if you have a DH and not, yeah. and not not worry too much about it. No, you're right. And I think the other part, too, of this is if the Braves, and I think everybody assumes this, but if the Braves add a big-time bat, and they would be silly not to, they have every intention of doing so. They really need to, by the way, like somewhere. They do. Yes. Yeah, they do. Whether it's Ozuna, a Springer type, they make a trade. Um, I sure think they're going to add a big bat for a team that's trying to win a World Series. They need it. If you do add another big bat, you can hide, and as you said, eighth or ninth in the order. And who knows? Maybe he is a, a – I mean, if he's a even average hitter, <laughs> you're talking about a three- to four-war player at league minimum salary. I mean, that's that's a scary thought. But as you said, you even if he's like a slightly worse-hitting Ender and Ciarte from a couple years ago, at least early in his career – you will take that 10 times out of 10 because the glove is so good and, and because of the names ahead of him in the lineup. Um, you really shouldn't have to count on him too many nights to win you the game at the plate. Well, yeah, and actually Ender from four or five years ago is a great comp for what Pache could be this year. And mm-hmm. that Ender, we always liked Ender in part because the glove just raised his floor so high. And his his offense was already was always overrated, even when he had the 200-hit season and all that stuff. He was still a league average hitter. But he didn't. He didn't need to be better than that. He he was totally a good starting level player, even with a relatively uninspiring bat for the most part, because he was so good on defense. And Pache projects to be that level on defense. Um, so we'll see how that happens in the future. But that gives me less pause. If he struggles mightily, then they're going to have to reassess. But uh, that's why you have Ronald Acuna. Um, he does a lot of things yeah. well. He could slide. He could slide over, and it's okay. Um, uh, sort of. I guess not really the same kind of topic but it's it's also an outfielder we got, got a question that you're gonna that you're gonna love scott um <laughs> comes from robert ball on twitter what is your opinion of signing yasiel puig to a one-year deal and this is robert talking but he says i think he could be an affordable but good bat he could fill an outfield spot before i let you answer i will i did a little bit of research on this mark feinstead of mlb.com reported a few weeks ago that puig is still on the radar for multiple teams and execs believe that he will get a major league baseball deal this winter but it'll probably be incentive-laden. Um, obviously, Puig signed with the Braves, or, or was going to sign with the Braves, by all accounts, last time, tested positive for COVID, and it kind of disappeared. Um, so 
obviously he's a familiar name. We liked the signing, at least I did, uh, when it happened or w- when it was supposed to happen, and then he went away. But uh, this is interesting. I, I kind of haven't thought about P- Puig in a while, but he's still yeah. out there and wants to play. It just It's funny you said that he kind of disappeared. That was like the most bizarre thing ever. Yep. Like, and it wasn't even like, well, you know, he, he tested positive, but hey, if he, you know, if he's cleared within five to ten days and he's in shape, maybe we'll bring him back. I mean, it, was it was like, like nope, like, we're out. He, he was banished. <laughs> yeah. And I wonder maybe there was something going on behind the scenes there. Maybe him and his agent were a hundred percent forth telling or, or who knows what it was, but um, sure. I, I think Puig, I would certainly aim higher than him at, at this point in the winter. If he, he feels like a guy, if he's still available at the end of January, early February, maybe you consider as a fourth outfielder um, in a sense, you do need a really good fourth outfielder on this team as kind of Pache insurance Um, Just in general, you want a good fourth outfielder. And I think because you just don't know what you're getting with him, um, you you do want to have some kind of backup plan. And that's certainly made easier if you do have a good fourth outfielder. So sure, I'm sure Puig is a guy who, as you said, probably a cheap one-year deal. There's going to be a handful of players looking at a similar contract. And if, if he's the best match out there and that relationship isn't ruined, then, then sure. He's, he's a talented individual. He seems like a, like a fun guy. Um, and, you know, and as we, we talked about the time, he, he certainly fills a role on, on a lot of teams. Um, it's just a matter of who else they sign. If they're looking for a right or left-handed hitter, that could also play a factor in it. But sure. If, if Puig is out there and he fits what they're looking for and the contract is right, I would imagine the Braves will give him a, a pretty good look. Yeah. You don't want to sign Puig to be an everyday starter with no competition. Um, but if you sign him as part of a rotation, or part of a potential platoon, or for some depth, then sure. Like, I have no problem. He's a talented guy. He's been pretty good in his career. Like, I think he's probably underrated as a player. We haven't seen him in a long time, so there's a lot of uncertainty there. You'd be relying on intel quite a bit there if you're a team, maybe a workout or two. But it'd be a good flyer. I wouldn't want to pay a ton of money. But if you could get him for cheap as part of your rotation in the outfield, uh, sign me up for that. I don't think it's probably likely to happen, but I would imagine he's still on the radar as Feinstein reported for a lot of teams. He didn't specifically mention the Braves, but the Braves were the one team that almost signed him. So they at least are in the mix at some point. They were in the mix uh, less than a year ago at this point. So who knows? That's the uh, interesting part about that one. Um, this <laughs> All right, now we're going to get into some silly season stuff before we, before we get out of here. Uh, this one is a combination question from BJ Barton. First, he asks, each of you tell us your true feelings about Kevin Sumlin, that, that one's for Scott, and Jim Harbaugh, which is for me. And then, <laughs> and then, do you think the Indians, uh, in fact, trade Lindor this offseason? And if they do, should Anthopolis finally pull the trigger and push all the trade chips in to go get Jose Ramirez? So we'll tackle the uh, football part first. Scott, yeah. how do you feel about Kevin Sumlin right now? Ooh. Because you are an Arizona grad, and it's not going very well. No, if, if you think your college football team is struggling... Imagine this. Arizona has lost 12 games in a row. And over the last two years, they have been leading in a football game like 13 minutes. In 12 games, they've had the lead a total of 13 minutes. Uh, so that is how <laughs> that's how my uh, college football fandom is going these days. Um, how are you feeling about uh, your Wolverines and, and Jim Harbaugh? 
Uh, better than you do about Arizona football, but not by yeah. much, I would say. Uh, <laughs> it was not a fun Michigan season. It's now over, and, and unfortunately, it was with three straight postponements because of COVID. And at the end of the season, they, they sent a release out saying that more than 50 guys were unavailable to play in the game that was scheduled this week. Oof, so that Jesus. is uh, not going terribly well. Uh, Harbaugh, you know, it's not been as good as it was supposed to be, and... College football is uh, a weird, weird thing, and this was the concern with him all the way through without going too deep into it, is that Harbaugh, everywhere he's ever gone, has worn out his welcome in like four years, and yeah. this is year six at Michigan, so it was due, I suppose. <laughs> it's time. Yeah, uh, yeah it's, not, it's not that great. Um, so we could probably leave it there for now. I, I, I could do 20 minutes on this, but we're, let's not do that. Um, yeah. As far as the trade question <laughs> is concerned with Jose Ramirez uh, and or Lindor, obviously Lindor is a shortstop, but he, the Indians seem to be in a rebuild kind of place. I'm not sure that, that they're going to go all in though. I have some Indians fan friends and by the way, they're not, they're not called the Indians anymore, apparently pretty soon, but cl- some Cleveland fan friends, um, who think that they're not going to ever just like completely blow it up. Like if they trade Lindor, they're not going to suddenly pivot to a Astro style rebuild, which means they, they probably won't trade everyone. But if the Braves could trade for Jose Ramirez, then they absolutely should do that because he's really good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would be he's kind of in this echelon of of players where you would have to completely unload the farm system for he's owed no money over the next three years. Talking about Jose Ramirez here. Um, Lindor is, of course, a all world talent. If if the if excuse me, not the Indians, the Cleveland baseball team, <laughs> uh, it's going to take a while to get used to that one. Yeah. Um, the Cleveland baseball team calls and says, hey, Alex, we really want to give you guys Francisco Lindor. What do you want? Or, you know, who you give us, um, you find a way to get a superstar talent like that. But ultimately, that one doesn't necessarily fit because of Dansby Swanson, um, Jose Ramirez, Nolan Arenado. I mean, there's there's so many different complicated names out there. We did get a couple of questions about trades, and it's so hard because usually there's so much more to consider. You know, Arenado is a famous one because he has an opt out in his contract. You don't know if you're trading for one year of him or if you're trading for seven years of him. Um how do you how do you assign prospect value to a player? You ha- you have no idea if you're going to have him for 12 months or uh, through 2028. So um, sure, if if Jose Ramirez is a name that's been out there, if if the Braves, I'm sure they have interest in him. He's a fantastic player, uh, maybe one of the five or so best players overall in in baseball right now. But um, that is a player if you're going to trade for you would have to give the moon and then some for and and maybe Anthopolis feels that's the right time to make that move. It, certainly make the Braves a better team, but ultimately I think he prefers to kind of hang on to his chips and, and do the year by year thing as we've seen. Yeah. The only thing that might be more intriguing there is that he is so cheap as you referenced. So maybe that would appeal to Anthopolis who's not giving out that huge contract. You wouldn't have to, it would be a, a huge prospect haul for sure. Um, by the way, to your point about him being really good and we'll move on from this in a second, uh, the last four seasons. So the start of 2017 until now, Jose Ramirez is fourth among position players in Fangraph's war behind Trout, Betts, and Rendon. Uh, Lindor is seventh, by the way. Yeah. So those guys are very, very good. And in comparison, uh, Freddie Freeman, who is awesome, is 10th. So those guys yeah. are in, a, in, in that elite tier, let's just say. Um, obviously, I think Lindor is a, a less of a natural fit with Dansby, but... Make no mistake, he's a lot better than Dansby. <laughs> you so, figure it out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If, if, if that's... one of those guys moves to third base for six months, you can you can figure that out. Yeah, you can you can make that happen. But I'm skeptical that would happen. But uh, sign me up for Jose Ramirez in any way, shape, or form. Um, one more 
baseball question. This is a sort of off the wall one. Um, comes from Jacob Suttles, and he asks, "Why isn't Braves legend Billy Wagner in the Hall of Fame yet? Please explain the lack of love from voters because I can't figure it out." So, this is not a huge thing. I will say Billy Wagner was not necessarily known for his Braves work, but he was incredible with the Braves. Uh, I did a little bit of research on this. So I'm going to leave Scott out of this one because he doesn't care. I don't think. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying. Am I wrong? No, you're right. I, I, I am not a uh, Hall of Fame connoisseur, I guess is probably the best way I'll say it. I, I care less than some people do about this kind of stuff. Uh, I know I have been um, filmed on camera talking about Andrew Jones in the Hall of Fame before. And that's complicated because of his off-field stuff. But on the field, he's definitely a Hall of Famer. Regardless, um, Billy Wagner, short version is that he has pretty much the best Hall of Fame profile for a left-handed reliever of all time. He leads all left-handed relievers in history in Fangraph's war. He's top six or seven in like basically every category among relievers in history. Uh, he's sixth in saves. I think he should probably be a Hall of Famer. Um, he doesn't seem like he's going to get in because I think he was at 31% last time. Um I'm kind of with you, Jacob, the person asking the question, and like he should get more attention. I also think the relievers are really complicated when it comes to the Hall of Fame. Like the guys who are in are basically the save leaders, and I get that. Like Mariano Rivera is not complicated. Like that, that guy's in the Hall of Fame, but basically anybody but Mariano Rivera is really tough. Like you got to kind of be the best of the best of the best. But the argument in favor of Wagner is that he kind of is. Like he he probably is a top six or seven reliever of all time, and if you just go by the, what the Hall of Fame is, wouldn't you want to include a guy who is, you know, one of the six or seven best that he at, at his position of all time? That seems like a good idea to me. But I'm just a uh, an observer. I mean, Scott, you yeah. don't, I, I know you don't care, but if I, no, if, I, I if I if I tell you he's like the seventh best reliever of all time, is it, it's not a Hall of Famer? I think it probably is. No, I think so. And as you said, it's it's not comparing apples to apples because he's somebody who threw 900 innings in his career. Um, well, yeah, that p- is... pitching is so tough anyway, like yeah. especially modern, modern era pitching is going to be so bizarre. Like basically sure. anybody after like the Maddox Glavin era, maybe Pedro and those guys, like the modern era pitchers, you know, everything has to change. Like no one's throwing as many mm-hmm. innings or as many starts yeah. as they used to, like other than maybe Verlander has like some inning stuff on that level, but the yeah. guys who are modern are not going to have the workload. And Billy no. Wagner is kind of different, but he was a one-inning reliever, truly. Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, give it five years once Verlander's out and Max Scherzer is out. I mean, those types of guys, they just aren't around anymore. You don't see starting pitchers throw 230 to 50 innings like you, you do in a season anymore. And then you factor in playoffs and spring training and all that. Um, teams are really protecting pitchers' arms. But no, looking at, at Billy Wagner's stats, again, I— I know I have not done a deep, deep dive on this, but he certainly looks to me like a Hall of Famer. I think 10 really good years is probably my bar to clear, and he was certainly that. Um, so I don't know. I, I think it's weird how with Hall of Fame voting, some players stick with voters more than others, and it doesn't feel like some deserve it and others deserve more credit than they get regularly. But um, yeah, sure, let's put him in there. And, and it also sounds like he did a lot of work with Craig Kimbrell as he was coming up with the Braves, and that certainly worked out for the Braves pretty well. So um, hopefully he, uh, hopefully Wagner picks up some votes and it helps push him at least a little bit closer, as you said, so he doesn't fall off. If he gets in, it will not be as a member of the Braves, I wouldn't think, but uh, he was a good Brave, Ooh. so there yep. you go. Uh, this is more of a troll question before we move on to the last one, and it comes from Michael Capo, who I'm sure was serious, but it's kind of funny. Uh, should we resign Tyler Flowers? 
or give Contreras a shot. And that's just for you, Scott, because you and I are like on Flowers Island, I think, at this point in time. Like, I know early in the offseason, you got yelled at for even suggesting Flowers be resigned. And we, we talked about it. We talked about it then. I, I, don't, I don't want to do it at all again now, but uh, short answer, please. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, short answer is I, I think that if Tyler Flowers is available for a million dollars too much, I mean, Mike Zanino just signed with the Rays today. Mike Zanino is, is, I don't want to say, pro- he is better than Tyler Flowers at this point. Uh, Mike Zanino signed for one year and $3 million, which is nothing. Um, if if you can have Tyler Flowers as an insurance backup catcher, somebody who has done it before for a million dollars, $2 million, um, I would do that. I, I know you probably feel the same way, but um, for the uh, 18th time in the last two months, <laughs> yes, I would be in favor that's of why bringing we're, that's, why, that's why I'm bringing it up, because this, this has been a repeated yeah. topic for, on, on this podcast. I appreciate the question. I'm not, I'm not trolling, Michael. Um, Yes, I, I think that if they get flowers for cheap, we will not complain. That's for sure. I am also, by the way, just for the record, I'm totally fine if they don't. It's not like it's not like I'm saying they have to. Um, yeah, me too. If they, it, I don't think Flowers is going is to get money from anybody else. Like I think he'll get, he'll be in the league. I'm not saying he won't be in the league. I, I don't think Flowers is going to sign for five million dollars somewhere else. I'll be surprised if he does. So if the option is basically Flowers going to the Braves and saying, look. I'd rather play for you for you know two million than anybody else for two million, and the Braves say yes or they say no. That's totally fine either way. Sure, I think Contreras, yeah, I mean, whatever yeah. they want to do behind him, like Contreras is a real prospect. I, I'm wary of prospects, but Travis Darno is really good. So mm-hmm. it's not like you're gonna have to go into the season with a perfect like split. Regardless, it it, it could be Flowers or Contreras or somebody else. It's gonna be sixty five thirty five Darno. So mm-hmm. it doesn't really well, matter a lot. And the Braves really like Tyler Flowers. They do. I mean, I know fans for and, – and, you know, he has, he has as most players do as he gets older, he is not as good as he was a few years ago. He was uh, legitimately awesome three or four years ago. Like, yeah. really, like, top ten catcher in baseball good for, a couple, for a couple years. Yeah. but And he's not that anymore. But if, if Darno is even close to what he was last year, um, I, I think the split could even be more like 70-30 – Maybe Darno catches uh, pretty much most of the time, except for like day games. You know, you know. Yeah, you're, he's playing. As, he's playing as much as he can play. I mean, mo- yeah. modern catchers, other than like Yadi and Salvador Perez, there's kind of a cap on how much you can play. Sure. Realistically, I mean, even even an all world player like JT Realmuto would not play 160 games as the Braves' catcher in, no. in the heat of an Atlanta summer. Your, your body physically can't. You're talking play. about like maybe one, maybe 120 at the most for a for a starting catcher in, in in Atlanta. And by the way, that's the way they should do it. The Braves have been so good with catchers for so long that whatever they do, honestly, I'm not I'm not a big like, you know, blindly follow what the team does guy, but until the Braves screw up catcher, I'm going to believe in whatever they do at catcher for the most part. Like they they are mm-hmm. batting yeah. a thousand at catcher for like a long long time now. Kurt Kurt Suzuki came in and was incredible. Um, Tower Flowers came in and was really, really good. This year they signed Arno. We like that move, but it worked out even better. Like th- for whatever reason, the Braves have catcher sauce. Like they're they're just great at it. For at some point, at some point it's going to end. But <laughs> until it does, like you know, whatever, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think if if uh, if they do it, great. If they spend elsewhere and they say, look, we just need to save a little bit of cash. If they roll Alex Jackson, Contreras, who knows what? The, I, would, I would prefer uh, Contreras to Jackson, just for the record. I think so too. Um, though it, 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 for me, it might also depend on if there is any kind of a normal minor league season because I generally prefer playing 
yeah. young guys every day in the minors than, you know, twice a week or yeah, once a week. You might or want Contreras to play a bunch in Gwinnett and see how he looks. Yeah. But yeah. if if there's a full minor league season, I mean, who knows what that's going to be. So, um, listen, yeah. to Ro- it, listen to Road to Atlanta early, uh, early <laughs> last week to hear <laughs> yeah. all about the minor league season that's coming up. And uh, we're all guessing. But yeah, that, that's enough on catcher for now. And I, I, had, to, I had to bring it up because it was funny that we got that question. Um, all right, last one. This is non-baseball, but this one comes from Terry, who asks, who asks, I should say, you've joked about the movie and TV podcast, but I actually want to know what you guys have been watching since baseball ended. I will start with you, Scott. Since mm. baseball came to a close, you know, a month and a half ago now or so, what have you been watching other than uh, Arizona football? <laughs> <laughs> I think as bad as they were, I might have watched like two quarters of the entire year. Um, it's been bad. No, uh, TV, uh, all about it. Uh, a couple of shows I'd highly recommend, uh, the queen's gambit on Netflix. I don't know if you saw that, Brad, I'm but watching it, it now. I'm actually about half halfway through ish on that. It's pretty good. Yeah. I, I loved it. I thought it was great. I thought it was really well done. Uh, technically it was, it was really strong. It kind of felt honestly more like a, I mean, it's a mini series. It was all of probably five or six hours, but it felt like a good movie to me, kind of like an Oscar best picture kind of movie instead of a show. But, um, that's really good on Netflix. It's only six episodes. So you can, or maybe seven, you can blow through that pretty quick. Uh, there's this, uh, new indie startup show called, uh, the Mandalorian, uh, from the star Wars universe. Really, really, really anonymous show there. It's not, not well known. Yeah. It's, it's going to hopefully blow up here pretty soon. There's, there's a lot of hype with it. Um, but yeah, if, if you have not caught onto the Mandalorian, even if I am not a huge star Wars fan, I enjoy them for what they are, but I am, by no means a diehard star Wars, you know, tell you every single character in the first, in the original trilogy by any means. But, um, the Mandalorian is awesome. Whether you're a huge star, well, if you're a huge star Wars fan, I'm sure you're already watching. Um, if you're not, I highly recommend, um, what else have, have I been getting into? What about you, Brad? What are you, what are you watching these days? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I watch a lot of sports, so my consumption is a little bit, you know, mixed, I will say. Uh, I really enjoyed the trial of, of the Chicago 7, which is the new mm. Netflix Aaron Sorkin vehicle movie. Um, that was one. TV is hit and miss. I am watching Queen's Gambit because everybody, everyone was making me. They were all yelling at me that I had to watch <laughs> the Queen's Gambit. And it has been pretty good to this yeah, point in time. Sure. What else have I watched? Uh, oh, man. Like... I have people that like like the flight attendants. I watched an episode of that. It was kind of interesting on HBO Max. Um, yeah. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not like knee deep in anything that's like my show right now. I have some shows that I have like really dove into, but quite frankly, I didn't get the break that I was thinking I might get because the NBA season just started like right away, basically after mm-hmm. basketball was after baseball was over. So. I'm not in peak TV watching form. I wish I was yeah. at this point in time, but I'm not. Yeah, no, I'm the same way. I haven't been able to really dig into a lot. I did start watching uh, Yellowstone, which is on, um, I, I think it's on Paramount Network. It's on Paramount it's also and also on, on Peacock. Peacock. Yeah. yeah, 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 which is, uh, which I get for free apparently with my uh, TV service, which was a surprise. But I'm like five or six episodes in. It's it's pretty good. Hey Scott, uh, you know there, there's this there's a show that you might be interested in. It's called The Office. You ever seen it? Is it a uh, like a Law and Order kind of deal? Or yeah, yeah, actually, wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't it be funny if The Office was like a procedural drama? 
Yeah, I, I've been known to watch that a few times. With all the same uh, characters, like my, Michael Scott is a, uh, it, 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 but it's just a lot darker and not funny. Wouldn't that be interesting? <laughs> I don't know. I, I'd probably check in for an episode or two. Yeah. And by the way, if, um, if people somehow miss this and don't follow you on Twitter, Scott tweets about The Office more than anything except for maybe The Braves. That'd be about The probably. Office. Probably. That's my brand. The Office and The Braves. That could be my new at, is, is The Braves and The Office. Um, what else? Oh, Shit's Creek. That That's not a recent one. I've, I'm rewatching it now, but Shit's Creek. Uh, really caught on in popularity when people were locked in at home over the last nine months or whatever it's been. Uh, Shit's Creek is fantastic. Um, it is a really good one if if you haven't. It's just a good lighthearted show if you're not wanting something with like death and despair all the time. It's just a good lighthearted comedy uh, that's on Netflix as well. I think the final season's up uh, streaming now, and you can totally breeze through that in a couple. Uh, a couple weeks. Oh, I thought of a couple more things. I, we're gonna we're gonna get out of here. I promise. But this is sort of our, our only time we do, that we'll ever talk about this. Uh, I watched The Undoing, the HBO limited series with Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant. That was interesting. I'm not sure if it was good, but it was entertaining. Um, <laughs> I also watched uh, Industry, which is the other HBO like BBC co-production show on Sunday nights. That was interesting as well. And uh, there's that. I'm trying to find the name of it right now. There's this. Oh, it was Palm Springs on Hulu, the movie Palm Springs. Oh, Andy, that was great. The Andy Samberg yeah. movie. It came out a few months ago, so people might have seen it already and missed it. But I watched it fairly recently, and uh, I love that movie. It's like Groundhog Day, but modern. I don't know. It's good. It was. Uh, it, we randomly stumbled upon it. I don't even know how we found it, but it was. Yeah, great movie. I'm glad you said it. That was a um, just a really randomly super enjoyable movie. Uh, that had no hype, or at least I had seen no hype for it. And we watched it one night, and it's one of those movies you watch. You're like, man, that was really good. I like that. Yeah, apparently, uh, I don't know why I know this, but Hulu Hulu bought it at a film festival, and then was going to put it in theaters, and then there was a pandemic, so they didn't, and uh, it became their mm. like kind of cult hit on this on the service. So I like movie theaters, and I haven't been to one in nine months, so that sucks. Hmm. Alas, yeah. one yeah, day that's something. That, <laughs> one day, hopefully, God willing. Maybe God willing, indeed. A few uh, months, yeah. Well, Scott, we, we've gone longer than I thought we might go. Uh, and by the way, we do have a couple of more questions that we, that we could have gotten to, but nothing pressing. You know, Austin Riley thoughts were asked. Uh, we've shared them quite a bit, and we'll probably share more of them, so we can put off that for later on. That's just one example of one that we got a lot. And the trade stuff that you mentioned earlier, like, I would love to construct fake off-season trades, and it, it's just really hard to do. And it's like, maybe mm. I could find one every once in a while. But uh, I, my general practice, both for Hawks and Brave stuff, is to just not try to do that too often unless there's some intel. Like, if there's a guy the Braves are, are reported to be interested in, I will try to figure out what it's going to cost. But, like, picking a guy out of a hat and saying sure. trade for that guy is a lot harder. So that's yeah. why. Well, and it's it's hard, too, uh, to know what teams want in trades because oh, yeah. most minor leaguers haven't played baseball in, uh, what is this, 16 months? 15? I mean, it's... It, yeah. I don't know how teams can realistically construct big trades right now when they haven't been able to get an updated scouting report on players in, in 16 months. I mean, even if even if they were lucky and caught a player in August or September of 2019, um, that was quite a long time ago, especially in a, in a sports world that's ever-evolving, and, and that's assuming that they were able to see somebody at the, the later end of 2019. So I, I just don't think we're going to see a ton of trades, at least trades of note this winter, because... How, how can you in good faith trade away a, a really good player if you're trying to rebuild on a player you haven't seen in person in two years? Yeah, they're going to be uh, another – I know there's video of all these guys and teams are supposed to be sharing it back and forth. And 
Yeah, it's on. It's a lot of uncertainty. I, I will defer to Eric and Garav and Matt and all those guys for uh, information on that. I will. I will pass to Road to Atlanta, but they'll be here. They they recorded recently. One more plug for that last show uh, about a week ago. That's on the same feed as this one. Subscribe to the podcast. By the way, if you have not already done that, it's time to do it. Thank you so much for your support for sure. But subscribe via whatever platform that you would choose. Leave five star reviews as well to help us grow the show a little bit. Scott, if you have anything to plug, feel free. I don't think you probably do, but uh, no. if you if you have any uh, hot takes that you've been sharing, please tell people where they can find you if they're new listeners. Yeah, it was good to be on with you, Brad. It's been a little while. Um, hope everyone's doing all right, staying healthy. Uh, yeah, as always, check out the site. Chris Willis uh, does a great job making sure we have content every day. The birthday boy this week, Chris Willis. That's right. Yes, happy birthday, Chris. Um, you know, fingers crossed we get – I said earlier, I wish – like we would totally settle for even just kind of like a silly rumor to get excited about for a day or two, um, even if it leads to nothing. Oh, it's uh, coming on Thursday. Like we're yeah. recording this Wednesday night. <laughs> there will be a uh, probably like a Braves press release announcement because they don't. It won't even be a leak. It'll be like nine thirty Eastern on Thursday morning, and the Braves are going to sign Michael Brantley to a three-year deal yep. or something. There you go. And we'll be in this same spot tomorrow night. See you then. Um, Perfect. But uh, sign me up. Yeah, check out the site. <laughs> right, something to talk about. Uh, but yeah, as always, uh, on the Twitter machine, Scott Coleman, five, five, follow talking chop, follow Brad BT Roland. Is that right? That, is, that is your... correct. If you'd like to follow me for all of my Atlanta Hawks work, you can yes. do it right then. Uh, well, thank you, Scott, for doing this with me. Uh, please subscribe, please follow Scott. And, uh, genuinely thank you for all the support, all the questions and, uh, everyone asking when there'll be a new show. We're going to try to be somewhat consistent every week or maybe two. We will do a podcast as you see, today's show, there was no real topic because there's nothing else to talk about, but we'll try to scrap some content together for you guys. If you subscribe to the podcast, we'll be around. I'm not sure if it'll be before Christmas because that's nine days from now, and if there's no news, then I, can't, I won't promise the podcast before Christmas, but we'll have one by the end of the year for sure. So subscribe, and we'll see you all next time. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts.